Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. I just want to take a moment before we even get into Sunday morning stuff, just clarify something, right? Because I've been asked this. I have nothing personal against the big yellow duck. All right, it's not a personal vendetta or anything. I just, I just, I mean, if you can't eat it or write it, what's the point? So, uh, nothing personal. I just don't see the draw. And um, despite what other people have said, I didn't go see the duck and have witnesses. My mother-in-law and father-in-law are here. My father-in-law wanted to go to Point State Park, and the duck just happened to be there. All right, it wasn't like a visit to go see the duck. But I'm super duper excited about the new series we're starting today. We're going to be walking through. The book of Jonah, which is, uh, in my opinion, one of the greatest and most phenomenal accounts in history about people who are sharing their, their testimonies with people, about evangelism and, and sharing what God is doing in your life. And here's the thing. I know a lot of people focus on the whole uh, big fish, whale, Jonah in it for three days thing, but that's not the greatest miracle that happens in that account. And actually... Uh, There are people that say it's a whale. There are people that say it's a giant fish. Uh, In the book of Jonah, it doesn't use the word whale. Uh, But when Jesus refers to it, depending on how you translate it, he uses a word that can be translated, a Greek word, either whale or great fish or sea monster. Uh, Let me show you this really quickly before we actually open the book. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 to 40, this is what he says. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, meaning Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And he answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, which is how the NIV translate it, translates it, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, in the King James Version, it says, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the complete Jewish Bible and the Amplified Bible, they both translate it uh, into the word sea monster. Uh, and they use that because in the Greek, it is the phrase lak nesio. No, it's not. I'm just kidding. <laughs> But um, it's, it's, it's translated either one of those ways, sea monster, great fish. Um, it would be really cool if it was the Greek word Loch Ness. But um, that's not the greatest miracle that happens in this historical account. Now, it is an actual historical account. This did really happen. Uh, but a lot of people focus on, you know, the whole Dr. Doolittle talking to the animals. You guys know who Dr. Doolittle is? Okay, the original version, Eddie Murphy version. Okay, all right. Eddie Murphy version was obviously not a musical, but um, we're going to spend a couple of weeks kind of digging into this, one week through each of the four chapters. And here's the thing. The greatest miracles, I'm going to tell you now, this is what we're going to hit on over the course of all four weeks. Greatest miracles that happen, first and foremost, uh, is God working in, wow, my clicker is not working, uh, Jonah's heart. Because Jonah, who is an actual prophet, starts out in rebellion to God. In other words, God says, go and doeth, and he says, I shall not. But as we work through it, you see God working and him actually going ahead and yielding to God, which to me, 
amazing. doesn't happen every day. The other miracle that happens is a whole community of people, all these men that work together on the boat and live together, their hearts are turned towards a God that they didn't even know. They didn't acknowledge him. They didn't have a previous relationship with him. But because Jonah and what he was going through, and they were witnesses to that, and because Jonah shared with them, here is the God that I, I serve and that, that I know, these men, as we're going to read today, uh, they end up acknowledging this God. And then lastly, what we see later on towards the end of the uh, book is a whole nation. Now, it's not the United States, but a whole nation, starting with the leader in the capital city of Nineveh, which is where Jonah is told to go. Told to go. Uh, this nation turns their hearts towards God. And I know, we, you know, right now, because all the things going on in our nation, the government shutdown and all that kind of stuff, uh, it would be a super natural thing. I mean, God literally working through, and that's why we're here, the church and his people. If as we went out and shared our testimonies and what God has done in our lives with people, if the nation would turn its heart back towards God, I mean, that would be powerful. So I realize a lot of people um, don't believe that this book actually took place. But if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Jonah. There should be, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible underneath your seat, front, right, left, right, or somewhere around you. Uh, but I want to show you something because a lot of skeptics say that this is not an actual account. It didn't take place. So while you're turning to the book of Jonah, which is somewhere in the... Uh, towards the end of the Old Testament amongst the minor prophets. I want to share this passage of scripture with you quickly. In 2 Kings chapter 14, this is what it says. Now, in the book of First and Second Kings, this is a record, uh, according to the nation of Israel, of rulers, people who ruled, and some of the things that they did in this nation's history. And this is what it says. In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. Now, I know that's a lot, but all that to say this. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath, and I may be butchering these names, forgive me, to the Dead Sea, in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant, Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from gath Now, the re- record of the kings of Israel records that Jonah was an actual prophet of God. He prophesied to Israel and ministered to kings, all right? And we just read where um, Jesus considered him a prophet, and from Jesus' perspective, Jonah was actually in the belly of the fish. Jesus said, as he is in the belly of the great whale fish, sea monster, Loch Ness, whatever you want to call it. I was actually going to preach this and wait and hold it until Lent when everyone's eating fish sandwiches. But all right. anyway, he says that this actually took place because he said, as Jonah was in the belly for three days, I'm going to be in the heart of the earth for three days and nights. So according to Jesus Christ, this Jesus Christ, this is an actual account of what took place. So if you're not there yet, turn to the book of Jonah, chapter one. And if you're using the Bibles that we have down there, it is on page 654. And this is how it starts. Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, 
because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, here's the thing. You've got to understand the word preach that it says there uh, literally can be translated to cry out or, or to cry out publicly and loudly. So if you can imagine in your workplace or in your community someone coming in and boldly and loudly proclaiming that your sins have come up before God and, and God is going to, you know, smite thee or whatever for it. Now, typically, I'm, I'm not a fan of the, you know, you guys have heard in the past of the, the uh, what they call them, brimstone and fire sermons and all that stuff. Not a big fan of those when they're used to scare people into following God. I, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's what God wants. He doesn't want people manipulated into following him. However, there are some people who will not hear, obey, or listen to God unless they are aware that their eternal destiny is at stake. For some people, that's huge. And they will be willing to listen and to hear. But that's one of those things where if you're sharing with someone, you need to let God guide you. Uh, Don't try to use that as a a rule of thumb or anything like that. But... um, Let God guide you. Now, here's the other thing. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And this is is true. I know we don't think about it, but some of the people in our circles of influence are literally running from God. They know that God exists. They know that maybe there's something in their life or something that they're doing that God is trying to connect with them. And they are literally running from God because they don't want to stop what they're doing. Now, let me share this with you. And I didn't get her permission. So, uh, Christy, is it all right if I share this story? She doesn't know what I'm going to say, so hopefully she'll say yes. Okay, all right. So, um, uh, my wife, Christy, and and, uh, she told me that when she became a Christian, she was first not living her life the way God would want her to. And I don't remember if it was her parents or somebody signed her up for emails that she would get these emails. And then the subject line, it was like, God loves you. And she'd hit delete. You know, God cares for you. She'd hit delete. God wants you to be his. She'd hit delete. But she got one one day that said, stop running from God. And she paused and she read the email. And whatever it said got a hold of her heart. And she decided, hey, I need to make some changes in my life and get right with God. She started going to church. She dumped her old boyfriend, which worked out great for me. But but she decided, I need to get right with God. And she eventually committed her life to God. And there are lots of people that are doing things that they know, you know what, I know God exists. I don't know him personally, but I know he's there. But I'm just not ready right now. And sometimes it takes someone else coming and sharing with them what God is doing in their their life, whether it's intentionally, like I know this person needs to hear it, or whether you're just sharing, you know what, I had such a bad circumstance and God did this in my life, that really will connect with people and allow them to stop running from God. Now, the city where Jonah was supposed to go, um, this was uh, the, a, a major city made up of a bunch of small towns, kind of like Pittsburgh is made up of a bunch of small little neighborhoods and municipalities, and the way New York City is made up of five boroughs. And 
typically what happens is when a person went to that city, uh, the, the, the city of Nineveh was the capital of what was called the Assyrian Empire at that time. And these guys were like brutal. These guys were ruthless. Uh, if you have ever read the book of Nahum, this is a prophet named Nahum who is actually just prophesying all these things uh, because of the wickedness of this city. And here's, here's what, keep your finger in Jonah, but here's what it says. In Nahum chapter 3, verse 1 to 3, it says, Woe to the city of blood. These guys were not just domineering and conquering. They were brutal. Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. The crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses, and jolting chariots. And I know we don't have chariots and all that stuff, but their thing wasn't just, hey, military might. It was, we must not just conquer, we must decimate any enemy that stands in our way. Verse 3, charging cavalry, flashing swords, and glittering spears, many casualties, piles, and there were piles of dead bodies everywhere. Piles of dead bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses. Now, um, some historians have found monuments in Nineveh with inscriptions on them that the soldiers would write. And, and now here's, imagine you're back home. I mean, they didn't do this. And you're getting tweets. You're seeing tweets on CNN or whatever from our soldiers after they win a battle. These were the things that they were sending out. One person, he inscribed in the monument, I cut off their heads and formed them into pillars. And another person put Booba. <laughs> I laugh every time I say that name, sorry. Booba, son of Bubba, I flayed in the city of Arbella and I spread his skin upon the city wall. I, another person, I flayed all the chief men who had revolted and I covered the pillar with their skins. You and I would think that a military, when they go out and they defeat an enemy, you know, they take whatever, they do whatever, they set up people there. What the Assyrian army would do is that they would totally destroy. They would bring back heads and skins and body parts and display them so that anybody who happened to come to the city would know, hey, don't mess with us. Here's some more because you guys are loving this, right? All right, here's some more. 3,000 captives I burned with fire. Another one, from some I cut off their hands and their fingers, and from other one I, I cut off their noses, their ears, and their fingers. Of many, I put out their eyes. And the last one, I made one pillar of the living and another of heads. I bound their heads to posts round about the city. And depending on who you talk to or what you read, some historians and some theologians will say that one of the reasons that um, Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh is because he didn't want to preach there. He didn't want God to show them mercy and then these brutal people, you know, be shown mercy of God. My personal opinion, I can't back up, my personal opinion is he was just scared to death. I mean, imagine God telling you, I want you to go to the most brutal, uh, you know, people that you could think of who as a practice, they fillet their enemies he says, tell them they're doing wrong. That's not the kind of call that most of us would respond to, and most of us would do what Jonah did and head the other way. So in verse 4, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. Now these are sailors from around the area 
they are not Hebrew people. They are not followers of Jehovah, but they are worshipers of God. And in most cases, the people in that area were worshipers of multiple gods. There was a God of this and a God of that, so they worshiped multiple gods. All the sailors were afraid. Each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your, on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. Now get this. The, the words that are used to describe the storm that swam up means this was, this was like a huge, this wasn't, did anyone see that movie, The Perfect Storm, where it was like the three whatever weather things that caused this perfect storm? This was bigger than that. This was like Sharknado. Did anyone see Sharknado? All right, it's on Netflix. You got to, I mean, it's like tornadoes shooting out sharks. It's really ridiculous, but it's fun to watch. But this was like a huge storm, and the reason that they said, let's cast lots to see who caused this is because a storm of that level was not normal. From their perspective, they weren't just like, hey, um, you know, this is normal. They were like, this is a supernatural storm, and we need to determine what's causing it. So this is what they did. They cast lots to find out who is responsible, and they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all of this trouble? And again, they realized that something supernatural was occurring. And they said, what do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Basically, now they had already had some conversation with him, as you're going to see. But they start telling him, what's going on? Do you have any insight into why we're going through what we're going through? And this is how he answered. He said, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord. Now, they had used the word, go worship your God, Elohim, meaning a God, or plurality of gods. He says, I am a worshiper of Jehovah, the one true God, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? And they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Now, this is... This is this is one of those things where when you read stuff in the Bible and you're like, does God condone this? And, and it's kind of harsh and it's kind of rough. But in verse 12, he says, pick me up, throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Now, you got to understand, he's, I don't think he's suicidal. And he's like, throw me over and I'll die and all will be at peace. Um, uh, I can't back that up biblically. It just doesn't appear that he's like, if you kill me, God will stop. The sense that I get is more of he knows he's done wrong. He's in disobedience to God. And he's, in my opinion, putting his faith and trust that God's going to make this right. And it's kind of like, I, I know you don't have kids like this. But I did this, it, like I would go out to parties that I know I wasn't supposed to go to. And my mom would show up. And she would show up not saying, is Floyd there ringing the doorbell? She would show up banging on the door, Floyd! 
all the people hear it, and throughout the party, from room to room, you would hear silence, and then someone would say, someone's mom's in here, what's going on? And all I could do is hold my, it's my fault. She's here, she's running the party, I'm in so much trouble. And they're like, well, what do you want us to do? There's nothing you can do. There is nothing that is going to stop a mom trying to correct their children. There is nothing that's going to stop God when he, he has invested way too much in us to allow us to just freely live in disobedience to him. Now, he's not going to force you. He's not going to manipulate you. But when you think about it, God is pretty powerful. He's got a lot of resources at his disposal in order to get our attention. And that's what he does with Jonah. Now, here's the thing. This is pretty cool. I'm going to put the rest of the verses up here. Verse 13, instead, instead of throwing them over, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And there are some of you that know that depending on, you know, you've been in situations where you knew without a shadow of a doubt what I am doing is something that God does not want me to do. And you felt it in your heart. He spoke to you in your spirit. And he did not make it easy to continue. And when they say, hey, well, I know you say throw you over. This is, this is pretty cool because these are the non-Christians, so to speak, saying we're not going to do that. Do you guys remember when, I don't know if there were one, two, or three, the boats, the carnival cruise lines that got stuck in the water because uh, they were without power and they were eating like, they were waiting in line for hours just for like, old hamburgers and all that stuff. If someone had, I don't think, I hope this isn't true, but if someone had stepped up and said, this is my fault, throw me over and all the power will come back on. Now, I hope and pray that they wouldn't. But after your stomach is growling for a couple of days, there's no running water, and you're like, all we got to do is throw them over. It's not that far to shore. You know, if we throw a lifeboat with him, maybe we'll be all right. But these guys are saying, no, we're not going to throw him over. And they're going to try in their own strength, and they did, uh, to fight against God. Then they cried out. Now, this is interesting. They didn't cry out to their gods. They cried out to Jehovah. They cried out to the Lord, the one true God. Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord have done as you pleased. This community of men who previously did not know Jonah's God, but because of Jonah's circumstances, and Jonah saying, hey, I worship this one true God who created the heavens, created the earth, created the sea. They cried out to him for forgiveness. And this is what happens in verse 15. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And because of that, these men saw God at work. And because of that, verse 16, at this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows to him. They had reverence for God. They offered a sacrifice to God, and a sacrifice is a way of saying, God, I want you to forgive me. So they would offer sacrifices. I'm hoping and praying it wasn't like a fire sacrifice on a boat because those don't mix well. But they also made vows to God. A vow is like an offering in those days. And here's, this is really cool. The Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days 
every night. Now, if you read in the other versions, it doesn't say provided. It literally says that he called. The Lord prepared and appointed or called a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, this is why we put so much importance and, 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 and say that it is so important for people to carefully share your testimonies with people in your circle of influence. Because you have no idea when you speak to someone and say, hey, here's what I went through and here's how God worked it out in my life. That might be just what they need to hear in order for them to say, you know what, well, if God did that in your life, Maybe God can do that in my life. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and, and I'm going to close with, uh, with this. You guys know we're doing this whole My Hope um, campaign, and, and, and we're asking people to pray for people in their circle of influence. We're asking people to consider uh, if maybe whether or not God is asking you to host an event or invite your family and friends over. But here's the thing. You don't have to host an event to be able to share your testimony of what God has done in your life. And I understand there's this, all this intrepidation about, you know, I, I can't talk at work, and I, you know, when is the right place? Or maybe these people uh, don't live close enough so they'll never come to my church. It's not about getting people into this building. It's about the fact that, and you can just turn on the news, the only hope for our nation It's Jesus Christ. There is not a single man or woman alive of any party that we can elect that's going to step in, snap their fingers, and make the world a better place. But there is a God that we know that we can share with them that might make their life a better place. And it can't happen if we don't tell them what God has done for us. And when these men, this whole, this is these, these guys that are working on a boat, and I've never worked on a boat, but I'm sure there's some fellowship and some camaraderie, and, and they share their lives together just like people in your community. And here comes a guy that they don't know that's only supposed to be there for a short period of time that gets to share what God has done in his life. I'm a Hebrew. I worship the one true God. And they see this supernatural event occur. They see the hardships he's going through. He had already told them, I'm running from God. And because he was able to share, here's what's going on in my life. Now, I know a lot of people are private, and we don't want to share, I'm going through financial hardship. We don't want to share, you know, my husband just lost their job. We don't want to share, you know, my children are out of control. We don't want to share, I'm I'm bouncing checks left and right because I can't make ends meet. But when you prayerfully... Ask God, how can my circumstances help someone else? He will blow us away. And there are people in our circle of influences who are looking for God. And a lot of them are trying, like these guys were doing, trying one way or another to work their way into God's good graces. They're thinking, if I give enough money, if I work hard enough, if I show up at every Sunday, every celebration and every Bible study, then God will make everything okay. And we have the knowledge that God has already done all the work because he shed his blood for you. And all you have to do is accept and acknowledge that. 
I'm going to ask you to stand, and here's what I'm going to do. As we stand, I want you to think about if there is anyone, you don't have to say their name, don't raise your hand, in your circle of influence that you know of that is separate or far away from God. I want you to let God speak to you right now. Open your eyes, your ears, your heart, because this might be an opportunity for God to say, yeah, you, this circumstance, this story, this event. Help that person acknowledge that God exists, that he loves them, and that he shed his blood for them.